As you guys turn there, let's pray and we'll jump in. God, thank you, Father, for your word. And God, I praise you, Lord, that you are worthy of our praise, God. Not that you need me to tell you that, Lord, you know uh, God, how amazing and good you are, Father, and we're just coming around to it, God. We're learning more and more day by day of just how good and amazing and, wor- and worshipful you are, Lord God. Father, I'm asking now, Lord, would you give us a heart to worship you, Lord? Father, and that is not just in singing, God, but that is a part of it. Lord God, I pray, Father God, that you would just fill us up, Lord God, in a way, Lord God, that would open our eyes, open our hearts, Lord, that this would also be a time of worship to you, God, that we would just hone in, God, on the things that you want to speak. Holy Spirit, that you would be able, Lord, to speak into the hearts of each and every person here, God. Lord, that there would not be one that would end up being left behind, Lord. Lord, we want and desire, God, that you would work in each one of us, Lord. And Father, if there be anyone here today that doesn't know you yet today, I pray, Lord God, would be the day that they would come to know you. And so, God, you know what's going on. You know, Father, the plans that you have, even in this moment, Lord God. Father, you know who's going to listen to this later, Lord, that may not know you yet. Father, God, would you move? Father, would your, would your word, Lord, not return void, Lord? I know it won't, Lord. You promise us that. So God, as we dig in now, Lord, would you just get me out of the way, Lord? We want to hear from you, God. We need to hear from you, Lord. Have your way in us, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. So you guys, we're gonna be starting in chapter 25, verse 31. Such an exciting message today, and I'll let you know, if you ever come in and you see a bunch of tabs in the tippy top of my Bible, that's every little scripture reference we're gonna go to today. So we got a lot today. Why? Well, because the conversation we're going to have today, the the passage of scripture that we're covering today, to be honest with you guys, just to be really upfront with you and frank, I have always understood to mean one thing. And it's always felt to me as I've done that, as I've gone to college for it, and as I was taught this stuff, and as I've dug through that I was like, man, this seems like a bit of a square peg through a round hole to me. It doesn't seem to fit to me. And I never liked it. Did you guys ever have any passages of scripture like that where you're like, man, I just don't, I don't quite get this. And maybe it's a pastor that's told you one way and, and you're like, ah, I still don't know if I buy it or if it's perfectly lined up that way, right? This stuff's hard. And, and we're talking about eschatology. That's the entirety of the Olivet Discourse. And so I'm going to give us one last reminder Anytime we're dealing with or talking about end times eschatology, remember, we can agree to disagree on how it all plays out. It's okay. It's not worth arguing over. I want you to be cool like me and be a pan-millennial. However it pans out, I'm cool with, right? If I find out that I am dead wrong about the rapture and that I am dead wrong about, you know, the true millennial kingdom and the amillennial people are right, guess what I'm going to do? Cool. Awesome, Jesus. Apparently, I missed it. If I'm right, though, I'm going to seriously be like, that's right. I knew it all along. No, I won't. Right? Except to Chad. Is he here yet? No, second service. (laughs) You guys, I love that there's a variety of ideas. Why? Because we're talking about something that hasn't happened yet. And so last time you're going to hear that from me in this book, I won't say, I'm not going to say it again in another book, but for us right now, this is the end of our talk of eschatology, but that's where we're at here. We're talking about the son of man, judging the nations. And so as we, as we study this, as we dig through it, listen, God really gave me a, an epiphany 
about what I think fits here. But again, study. It's on you. The onus is on you to dig in, to be a Berean, right? To study God's word. And you should study and you should have an opinion. And you might even have a strong inclination of what you think all of this stuff means. But remember that it's just a strongly held inclination. It's not an absolute answer, right? So let's dig in. Verse 31, we're going to read here. It says this. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. And so here we need to kind of set the stage. And this was the part that always kind of shook me a little bit as far as what does all this mean? So I don't know how many of you guys have read this before or heard this taught before, but a lot of preachers, a lot of pastors will say that this is referring to the great white throne of judgment, that this is the great white throne. And it never really fit well with me because who's going to be at the great white throne? Those that are not believers, right? It's going to be the final judgment of all those that don't believe. Where do we believers go? We go to the Bema seat judgment, right? It's a different judgment for us. And that's where our rewards are handed out. And everything we did on this earth, like all the cars we buy and all the stuff that really doesn't have any spiritual value, just gets burned up. It all goes away. Hey, wooden stubble, right? Nothing against cars. I like cars too, right? But I'm just saying like all that stuff doesn't add any spiritual value. And that's the stuff that's gonna be kind of played out at the Bema seat judgment. So those two judgments we know about. And so it's never really set well with me. And so let's talk about this. Let's set the stage of what we just read. It says, when the son of man comes in his glory and all his holy angels with him, where's all this taking place, you guys? Well, if you hold an amillennial viewpoint, which means that there is no real millennial kingdom that's going to happen after the tribulation, because there is no real tribulation according to the amillennial viewpoint. It's kind of all just whatever. And like at the end of time, at the end of this age that we're in, Jesus is going to come back once. The judgment's going to happen. Everything's going to happen. And then we're going to go to heaven and everyone else is going to go to hell. All All the unsaved people are going to go to hell, right? That's kind of the way that they believe it. And so if you, if they, if the, for them, they believe that this is a great white throne of judgment. They believe that that's what they're looking at here, that this describes the one judgment that takes place once and for all at the end of the age. However, if you hold the view like I do, that there's a seven years of tribulation that's going to happen that we read about in the book of Revelation and that it's a real thing that's really gonna happen here on this earth and that after that is a thousand year reign of Christ here on this earth. Well, then when you're looking at this, don't you see that it says when the son of man comes in his glory, this is Matthew writing or Jesus about what Jesus said when he's saying, when I come back to earth. So where is this taking place? Here on this earth. And so this doesn't seem to fit well to me with the great white throne of judgment because where's that gonna happen? In heaven. It's gonna happen in the sky and in the heavens, right? It's not gonna be here on earth. This takes place, you guys, and this was my epiphany. I've never liked that it it didn't seem to fit well with me with the great white throne of judgment, but it actually fits really well right after the battle of Armageddon. And that was my epiphany. 
And that is backed up by people like Warren Wearsby, John Walvert. I'm not a crackpot up here just giving you some brand new idea, but I've also never heard it that way. And so listen, you two, or you guys need to figure out what you, what you think. You need to like get together with the word and you two, you and God need to say like, man, Lord, what, what does this mean? Do I agree with that? Because this is brand new to me too. But it's exciting to me because I think it makes a lot of sense. And so if this is right after the seven years of tribulation, the battle of Armageddon, what's happened at the battle of Armageddon? Remember, let's flip over with me. Revelation chapter 19 verse 15. You guys, this is, this is the battle of Armageddon. Christ returning on the white horse, right? Coming down and, and who's with him? We are. The church is with him, I believe. We're the ones that are behind him. We're standing behind him and we're like, are we going to fight? No, we're not going to have to because it says here in verse 15 of chapter 19 in Revelation, it says, now out of his mouth, Jesus, goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of almighty God. So Jesus does the work. Jesus speaks a word and they're decimated, right? Like what does it look like? I don't know. I think it's gonna be pretty gory. Just being really honest. I don't think it's gonna be pretty. I think it's gonna be his wrath being poured out. It's not gonna be a pretty sight. So all the armies at this point then, when this judgment's taking place, are already gone. They're dead. Are they vaporized? Are they turned into mush? I don't know, but they're not alive anymore. So all the armies that came out against Israel and against Christ are gone. And as Christ then sets down on earth, then this judgment happens. But I want us to think about this. Who are we judging here? Who's Jesus actually judging? I believe he's judging the humans, the people, the physical people that are still alive at this point. Because remember, the armies came out and now they're decimated, but there's still people. There's still people that didn't go out to fight. There's still people that were literally uh, tribulation saints, right? That survived all the way through the seven years and were not, not martyred. There's 144,000. Flip over with me just a few chapters back. Revelation chapter 7. A few pages to your left. Revelation chapter 7, verse 2. This is partway into the tribulation. And here's what God says. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea saying, do not harm the earth, the sea or the trees till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. Of the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Gad, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Asher, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 were sealed. And of the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Levi, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 were sealed. And of the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000 were sealed. Why did I bother to read all those? Well, you guys, a couple of reasons. Little side note. Some people like to take these 144,000 people like the Jehovah's Witness and turn it into themselves. 
until there was more than 144,000 Jehovah's Witnesses, and then they were trying to figure out which 144,000 are going to be in heaven. And they twist the scripture all up. Who are the 144,000? Jews. 12,000 from each tribe. That's pretty clear. We can't twist it. So if you hear anybody saying something wacky about the 144,000, and they will because they like to come to your door, just be aware that that's garbage. It's painfully clear. It's painfully clear that these are 12,000 or 12,000 from each tribe that are sealed. And what that means, they're sealed. They're not going to die. They're not going to suffer. They're not going to be a part of that. This is basically a sealed group of ninjas that are out there telling people the truth about Jesus Christ. And through the seven years of tribulation, and more specifically through these last three and a half years, when you are like being told, take the mark of the beast or you will not eat, and you will be beheaded, and you will be all these things, they're going to be sealed and protected. And they won't have the seal, the mark of the beast, right? They won't have the mark of the beast on their head, which would be a seal of man, right? You guys, we need to hear this. Those people are going to be on this earth. Those Christians right? Those people that the 144,000 have brought to faith. And remember, all these guys are Jews. And so we've already talked about it before this, that God is going to rescue his people. This Jew, Jewish, the Jewish race is going to be protected in this. Are all of them? No. The people that accept Christ. Does that make sense? So it's not, it's not rocket science to think that, yes, there's still, as a matter of fact, some estimates, I read some different estimates. How do they know this? They don't. It's kind of ridiculous. But they're saying that with the population, even with all the plagues and everything, and they estimate, there's these scientists that go out and estimate that there could still be close to 3 billion people on the earth at the end of the tribulation. That seems pretty high to me. Again, I have no idea where they're getting their numbers, but they're postulating. They're thinking through, like, what does this look like if, if a third of the sea was, was unusable if the third of all the ocean, right? All, this, all these things that they talk about through Revelation and they postulated that out. They said that there still could be close to 3 billion people on the earth. Still a lot of people. But also remember this, there's gonna be those people that are absolutely 100% not Christians that just have taken the mark of the beast. They don't want anything to do with God. They hate the Jews, right? And if, if you guys don't see Satan's fingerprints all over the Jewish race, all throughout history, all I have to say is Hitler. All I have to say is the, the Russian pogroms, right? I mean, we see it throughout history, you guys. You think it's going to change? No, it's going to get worse for them. But the Lord has got his hand on them. And so there is going to be, in my heart of hearts, as I read this, sheep and goats. And who are they? They're people that are literally still alive at this point, at the end of tribulation and after the battle of Armageddon. If you, if you don't agree with me, that's okay. I mean that, sincerely. I'm not up here trying to tell you that I'm right and you're wrong. I'm just saying it makes sense to me. So who are these holy angels with them? Does that ever, did you ever think about that? That kind of threw me because I'm like, wait a minute. If the church is coming back with them, who are the angels? And why are the angels coming back? The angels are usually going ahead, blowing trumpets and doing work, right? Well, a person holding the amillennial point of view would say that these angelic beings are coming and showing up for the final judgment. And that's a possibility. But if this happens at the end of the seven years of tribulation, but before the thousand year reign of Christ, then we can assume that these angels that are being referred to here that Jesus is saying 
is us. And I need us to hear this. We're not going to become angels. But the Greek word for angel is not angel. You guys know that? It means messenger. So guess who else is called angels? In the book of Revelation, the word angels used for pastor. The word angels used throughout scripture in the New Testament, right? To refer to messengers. Yes, a lot of times those were angelic messengers. Gabriel is an angel in the truest sense of the form, right? He comes and he announces things. He's the announcing angel. That's what he does, right? But Michael's no less of an angel and he ministers what? Justice, right? He comes and and hammers on people. But the reality is, is that messenger doesn't always have a supernatural sense. Now, again, could I be wrong about this? Yes, I could be. I'm asking you guys to pray about it and figure it out. But it makes sense to me that here, what we see is the same thing we see in the book of Revelation. When we read about this idea of the angel of this church and the angel of that church, not that there was literally an angel over that church, but that the person that was put in charge, technically I'm the angel of this church. I'm the one that God's put in place to be the messenger to you guys. God help you all, (laughs) right? But that's the way it is, right? So it could be that. What about this? Who are all the nations? Well, again, an amillennialist view holds that this is all of humanity, past, present, past and present, right? There is no future at this point, right? So it's past and present. Everybody's being judged right here, right now. Again, it just doesn't seem to line up to me because this is happening on earth and not in heaven. I have a hard time believing this is a great white throne of judgment. This seems to be a a different moment in a future time. And so as we look at this, The reality is the great white throne of judgment will only be for those people that are headed to hell. That's it. We may be there. There's some people that think we may be there, but we're going to be spectating. We're not going to be part of it, right? But there's a lot of people that believe we're not even going to be there. Like it's going to be something that's dealt with between them and Jesus, and it's going to be just dealt with. We don't know. But the reality is here, you guys, that the judgment that we see laid out here that we're going to keep reading on has been or is for both the sheep, those that are saved, and the goats, the unsaved people. It seems like a different judgment. And so the other thing I want to say is here is this, and is that I see this as limited when he says the nations. Who are the nations? Well, literally in the Greek, this word is ethne. It's where we get ethnicity. So here Jesus is a Jew He's already talked about in earlier in the chapter about what's going to happen to the Jews. And so this word ethne is referring to the Gentiles, people other than his ethnicity. Do you get it? And so this is the Gentiles that are here on earth that are going and have survived all the way through the tribulation or were born partway through it and survived to the end. It's those that are still around at this point in history. And he divides those people into two distinct groups, the sheep and the goats. And one more thing, you guys, before we move on to the next section, and this is a couple things. This is really for those that may be here that, man, they're just not believers. They don't, they don't believe in Christ yet, or you're watching online. The reality is, you guys, is this is one of those places. It's one of the only places. It's, it's literally the only place in the book of Matthew that Jesus refers to himself as a king. He literally says, then the king, in verse 34, will say to those on his right hand, the king. 
he refers to himself as king. And so if you're here today and you still think that Jesus is just a good guy or a good teacher, he can't be. If a person walks around and calls himself a Lord, like that he's deity, if a person walks around and says he's a king, and I want you to process this thought, Jesus didn't own anything. He owned the clothes on his body and they were probably given to him, right? Jesus didn't have property. Jesus didn't even have a place to lay his head. For a man like that to call himself a king means he was either a lo- uh, like a total lunatic, a liar, or he was who he says he was. And I'm sure you guys have heard that before, and I've definitely said it a million times. No one can look at Jesus and say, yeah, he was a good teacher. That's what the Muslims say. He was a good teacher. Oh, he's a prophet. Even the Hindus look at him and think like, mm, yeah, Jesus seemed like a pretty good guy. He can't be. He's either an absolute liar and a lunatic, or he is who he says he is, and you have to deal with it. So the reality is he didn't just say he was a king here. He also said this, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's exclusive. So you've got to figure out who is he? Who is he to you? Verse 34 says, then the king will say to those on his right hand, come you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food and I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. So Jesus here is saying, man, like this conversation that I'm having with you, like what it looks like here is all the things that I see that you've done. You've done all these things. You've, you've fed me. You took care of me whenever I was in jail. When I was naked, you put clothes on me. When I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. They took care of him. And he says this to the sheep and, and he's thanking them, right? He's like, man, you guys, thank you for doing that. And they're like, obviously like, wait a minute, hold on. Jesus, you've been in heaven for a long time through these seven years of pretty much hell. And here we are. And you're saying we did all these things for you? Like, how do we do that for you? And notice his answer. And I want us to stop and Think about this. Another reason that I believe that this is just the Gentiles that he's speaking to is he says this in verse 40, the king will answer and say to them, assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. That sounds like he's saying, man, as long, as much as you did something to the least of these, brother, but that's not what he's saying. So you guys, it says there with no comma, to the least of these, my brethren. To the least of these, my brethren. You guys, I'm teaching a really hard passage and I just wanna, (laughs) not a rebuke, but just an encouragement, man. Have your Bible in your hand. Don't believe the words that are coming out of my mouth. Read it for yourself, please, please, please. There's no comma between the least of these and my brethren. So what is that saying then? 
Think about it. He's saying, the one that you did to the least of the Jewish brothers of mine, the least of the Jews, the least of my people, you did unto me. That's what he's saying. So the Jews are not in this part, I believe. I believe they're excluded from this and I've never read it that way until this time through. And it was just painfully obvious to me. He's saying here, through this tribulation period, these people, who's on the earth, you guys? The Jews and the Gentiles, just like there is now. But the reality is in these seven years, you guys, everything we come across in this world is going to be magnified by about a million. Like people are like, oh, I don't know. Is this, is, 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 is COVID, is that the start of tribulation? I'm like, no, no. Does it stink? Yeah, it's not fun. Is it tribulation? Nope. I think it's child's play in comparison to what we read in the book of Revelation. And then we have the last three and a half years, which are just take the first three and a half years of the tribulation and, and, and that's child's play in comparison to what else is going to be poured out. And so the reality is, is that I think Jesus here is saying to these people, these sheep saying, listen, you, you did your best to take care of my people. You didn't shun them like the rest of the world is. You didn't just look at them and think, oh man, everybody else is jumping on the bandwagon of getting on their case and hating them. Do we see that in the world today? Yeah, we do on a much smaller scale, but we still do, you guys. I saw a meme one time that I thought was hilarious and it was this. It was Hamas throwing bombs over to Israel, which happens quite a bit, right? And there's nothing. There's just bombs going into Hamas, bombs going into, or Hamas going, sending bombs into Israel, bombs into Israel, bombs into Israel. The fourth tile on the little meme was Israel retaliating and sending bombs back to Hamas. And it was like, Israel is attacking the Muslims. And it was a, there was like all these reporters standing in front of the bombs going the opposite way. Isn't that kind of how it goes? It's sad. That's what the world wants to see Israel as the aggressor, the ones that are in the bad. And, and the reality is, you guys, it doesn't really take that much to step back from something and look and be like, dude, you guys are bombing them constantly. You're constantly terrorizing them. We just had a shooting on the, on the deal. Why? Because somebody brought a knife and tried to stab one of the Israeli people. And, the, and, the, and, and over there, you have to serve in the military. So guess what? They've got guns. Don't bring a knife to a gunfight. <laughs> and so they shot him after he stabbed people. And guess what? I saw it on the news and they're like, oh, I can't believe it. Look at what these Israelis are doing. It's like, are you serious? If you bring a knife to my house and start attacking my family, you're going to get shot. Be warned. <laughs> right? And would you blame me? I wouldn't blame you. Why does the world want to blame the people of Israel, you guys? And it's just going to get worse, right? He's going to promise, the Antichrist is going to promise this peace. It's not going to last very long. And then he's going to pour out all, Satan is going to pour out all of his wrath on the people of Israel. And so here at the end of time, at the end of this world, whenever the millennial reign begins, he's going to be, Jesus is going to come back. And he's like, hey, you guys, you guys, that loved me and therefore loved my people. Thank you. And he's going to let them enter in. 
And I, I, I need you to see this, you guys, because is this, for that, is this specifically for us? No, but I think it has a lot of application to us. It has a lot of application to us. And I want us to see one other thing. Because one of the ways that this scripture, I think, gets twisted a lot is that people are like, hey, man, Jesus is letting all these guys into the kingdom, all these people into the kingdom because of all their good works. No, he's not. They're not getting into the kingdom because of their good works. Rather, I need us to see this. The good works are the outgrowth of the faith that they had already put in Jesus. Right? Faith, you guys, brings about good works in our lives. If the Holy Spirit's convicting you on that, well, then deal with it. Right? You know your own lives. But faith brings about good works. Good works do not bring about faith. There are people in this world that are a million times more altruistic than our entire churches combined that don't believe in Jesus. Right? It doesn't bring about faith. But faith does bring about good works. And it's important to understand the statement that Jesus is making here. Flip over with me to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, specifically. This is Paul speaking. He says this, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ that lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Here's Paul saying like, man, look, like my life, you guys, is, is wrapped up in Jesus. He's the one that's living through me. Amen? That's for all of us. But the reality is, flip over with me now to Titus. Here's Paul talking to Titus. Titus chapter 3, verse 4 says this. But when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior toward man, appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And we don't have it up here, but listen to verse eight. Right after all of this stuff where he's like, dude, it's about faith in Christ. It's about faith in Christ. He says this to Titus. This is a faithful saying. And these things I want to affirm to you, you to affirm constantly that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain what? Good works. These things are good and profitable to men. You guys, the good works grow out of the faith. It's not the other way around. I need us to hear that because there's a lot of people. There's even some people in this church that I've heard say, well, I'm a good person. What does that mean? You're not a good person, actually. None of us are. Right? None of us are good. We're going to read that in a little bit. But the reality is, is that being a good person doesn't mean jack squat. Listen, Steve Jobs was a Hindu. Steve Jobs actually was a very altruistic person. Bill Gates is also an extremely altruistic person who gives away a lot of his money. He's an atheist. Neither of them are going to heaven. Steve Jobs died, a Hindu. I pray that the Lord got a hold of his heart in the last minute before he died. But the reality is, you guys, it doesn't matter how good you are. You're not good enough. It's only through Christ that we're saved, amen? 
So we need to keep that in mind as we read about these sheep. Yeah, they did good things. And yes, Jesus invites them in to this thousand year reign that he's gonna be in. But that doesn't mean they got there because they were good. It means they got there because they had faith in Christ. Amen? Verse 41. Then he will also say to those on, on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire, prepared for who? The devil and his angels. Hell is not meant for humanity. Humanity chooses to go there, sadly. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not take me in. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer. They will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty and a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, assuredly, I say to you, Inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away, go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So these group of goats are sitting here now in judgment. And these are the people, you guys, that followed along with the Antichrist. They had no problem taking the mark of the beast. They were good to go in apathetic kind of just indifference with saying, I don't care. I don't care what happens to the Jews. I don't care that raping and murdering and all that stuff is probably going to be on an absolute crazy rise throughout the tribulation, one could assume, right? Society is going to break down. And so these people here that were just like, whatever, I'm only worried about me. And if I have to take the mark of the beast in order to buy, sell, and trade and do all the stuff I need to do, I don't care. That's fine. Give me the thing. Give me whatever that looks like, right? It doesn't matter. Another thing I want to clarify, I don't, I get it. The Lord is throwing a lot of little clarification notes in my mind as we, as I'm doing this, you guys, getting the vaccine is not the mark of the beast. Hear me on that. I'm still getting occasional questions about that. It's not the mark of the beast. And I will argue with you. The mark of the beast is going to be a very known quantity. It's going to be a thing that says, guess what? If you get this, it means this. It's going to be well-known. It's got, not going to be a vaccination. It's going to be something that people see and know that you've taken this. So these people here, I need us to hear this. They may have been good people. They may not, right? They obviously weren't part of the army that was coming out against Israel and against God. They were just people that were living their lives. And there's a lot of people in this world today. There's a lot of people that you probably work with. There's definitely people. I go to the coffee shop a lot. I think I work as much at Flight Coffee as I do here at this building, right? I spend a lot of time there. There's a ton of great people that I really enjoy being around, the people that work there and different people that I really enjoy that I don't know where their heart is with the Lord. And I, I try to give every opportunity as the Lord leads to try to talk to them about that and invite them into conversation and have those conversations. But I think these people, a lot of these people, People are going to be like, when did we not do these things? Like, I don't understand what you're talking about. And it wasn't that they didn't maybe do good things. It's that they did it with an indifference to God. Again, Bill Gates gives away a ton of his money. 
Does he do it to bring honor and glory to God? No, no, he doesn't. I'm just throwing names out, y'all. Put whatever name you have in your own head there. I don't care what the name is. We all know people that are really good people that don't know the Lord yet. Your goodness gets you nowhere. And so the reality is, is here they are. And where do they go? They go where they requested to go, out of the presence of God. That breaks my heart. It should break your heart. I think it does. Christians, it's not a joke. And the reality is, is that if, if this is happening, remember that we've had the 144,000 out there just screaming the name of Jesus. They've had the two witnesses that were on the earth until they died, that everyone was seeing all at the same time, whether that's Moses and Elijah or whoever, I don't know. Whoever those two people are, right, that get to spit fire out of the mouth, that'd be pretty cool. Raw, <laughs> right? <laughs> that'd be awesome. So you guys, these people are there. They've heard those people. You guys remember in the book of Revelation that we've studied? If you didn't, you can go back and listen to it. But listen, you remember there's an angel that flies all around the earth near the very end that's like, Jesus is Lord. Like, hear this. There's not going to be an excuse when he returns. No one is going to get to be like, wait a minute. I didn't know that. No. Church. Is anyone that you know going to get to heaven and have the excuse that you didn't tell them? I hope not. I hope that's not true for me. But man, it definitely puts a burden on my own heart to be like, man, Lord, lead me in the way everlasting. Teach me, show me when you want me to speak and when you don't want me to speak. God, give me every opportunity available to me in your power to say the words that you want me to speak. And don't make me cowardly in the moments that you do want me to step out. I also want us to see that it wasn't just because they did bad works here. Flip over with me to the book of Ephesians, chapter two. I told you we're going everywhere today, everywhere. Ephesians chapter two, verse eight. You guys know this. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we have good works prepared for us, but it's by faith that we're saved. Galatians 2.16, you guys don't have to turn there. It says, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one can be justified. That's in the ESV. By works of the law, no one can be justified. So you guys, at the beginning of the millennial reign of Christ, I believe there's only gonna be those that believe that exist in the kingdom. And I need you to hear that. Why? Well, we just read what happens to all the other people. They're sent to eternal darkness. And so at the beginning of the millennial kingdom, we have the 144,000 that were sealed, right? We have 
all those people that were saved that walked through life in torture and, and terror, right? Not having the mark of the beast and not being able to buy or sell and not having all of these basically protections, quote unquote, that the world offered at that point in time. And here they are. And that's how we begin. We'll be there ruling and reigning with Christ. And then those humans that survived all the way through, guess what they get to do? Continue to live life. They get to continue to get married and continue to have children, continue to do their thing. I think it's going to be crazy. I'm glad I'm not going to be there in that place, right? I'm glad I'm going to be past that point. But the reality is, you guys, is that I believe that when we get to that point, they're going to be there. And, and, and so then people have asked me like, well, then what's that mean then at the end of the thousand year reign when Satan is released again? Well, it only makes sense that Satan would have to be released again if these people continue to have kids and continue to do their thing. They're living under a much more perfected world here with Jesus ruling and reigning. But the reality is they still have free will. These children being born still have free will. And so there's going to be another final time before the heavens and the earth are passed away and we go to the new heaven and the new earth, that they're going to have one final time. Like, hey, figure out who you're going to live for. And that was under the thousand years where they're actually hanging out with Jesus. And there's still going to be people that choose not to. I can't fathom that. But I also can't fathom that people wouldn't choose Christ now. I really can't. But that's the way it's going to be. And, and so... Like I said, you guys, man, God blew this scripture up in my own mind this week as I've studied. If you have heard it as I have a thousand times another way and you don't agree with me on it, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. And I need you guys to hear that. I also don't want, I hope that you're not hearing me and being like, sacrilege. <laughs> We're talking about eschatology, man. I'm not up here to tell you exactly how it's all going to play out because guess what the answer is? Same one I've been giving you. I don't know is the answer. But man, this really opened my eyes to see it in a way that really honestly fits. I felt like it was a round peg through a round hole to me. And so I hope it's opened you guys' eyes up too. But like I said, if you want to come up later and tell me that I'm full of it, go ahead. Because <laughs> I'll be like, maybe. I might be right? I'll argue with you till I'm blue in the face that Jesus died on the cross and rose again and that tomb is empty. You will not convince me otherwise. If you don't agree with me about how it's all going to play out at the end, cool. I don't care. So the reality is you guys for us, and the question might be, what does all this have to do with us? Well, like I've said before, I believe that at this point, in history, we're going to be through the tribulation. The church is going to be in heaven, having the marriage supper of the lamb, right? Chilling out, relaxing. And then we're going to return. We're going to rule and reign with Christ. But the reality is, guys, what does this mean to us now? I'll tell you what it means. When I read these things, when I was, I was hungry and you gave me food, I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. You guys, I believe that we're called to have the kingdom here on earth in our own lives. Does that make sense? 
I'm not talking about some wacky thing where we're going to bring the kingdom down. What I'm getting at is, is that our eternal life begins the day we accept Christ, Amen. right? Like we're, we're in eternity with him. We're, we're walking that out. We're, we're, and does it look clean here? No. In his eyes, we're justified. But that sanctification word is a big word. And what's that mean? It means you're still dirty and you're still messed up and you're walking and you're slowly becoming a cleaner picture of him, right? That's still happening. But how, how in the process of sanctification does God do that? I'll tell you how I think he does it. By feeding those that are hungry. By giving drink to those that are thirsty. By taking care of strangers that are around you. By clothing orphans and widows. By taking care of people. I think God does a lot of the work in our sanctification walk as we're willing to step out and be uncomfortable in the things that most of the world chooses to ignore. And most of America likes to just throw money at it instead of actually doing something about it. And that brought me conviction just to say that. You guys, I believe we have an opportunity here on this earth right now to walk with the Lord in a closer walk, to shine the light of Christ, to be a city on a hill, to be a lamp that's not hidden, right? Wow, man, by, by following the Holy Spirit and if he tells you to stop and go grab a cup of coffee with somebody that you have never met in your life, don't be afraid to do that. You know what? One of the coolest things I've ever gotten to do, I felt like the Lord wanted me to stop and speak to this homeless man and I was like, oh, I'll just give him money. That's easy. Except I didn't, man, because I was like fumbling with my wallet and the light turned green and people are honking. I'm like, whatever, I'm going to go. Right? Right up here in Dover. So I went and I made it all the way to where the old staples used to be, right? By where Tucker's is and everything. And God was like, you better turn your butt around. And I was like, okay, fine. And I turned around. And I went and I'm like, well, now I can't get to him because he's in the median and I'm across the way and it's not going to work. And so I pulled into the Tucker's parking lot and parked. And then I was awkwardly and ran across and I ran over to the median and I had 20 bucks and I was just going to give it to him and, and, you know, and just pray with him and do that. And as I'm doing that, God's like, I'm not asking you to give him money. I'm telling you to go talk with him, and invite him out to something. And so I was like, but that's weird. <laughs> and so I put my money in my pocket and I said, hey, man. You want to go get some food? And he's like, oh, man, I got it. And I'm like, look, dude, I'll give you some money, but let's go get some food. And he's like, okay. And so we went and sat down, and we ate some food. And he stunk, and it was weird. And he told me all sorts of stuff. And I got to pray with him. And I started a relationship with him. And I wish I could say that, oh, man, and God brought him to the Lord, and all these things changed. No, it didn't happen that way. But I got to plant seeds. And was it uncomfortable? Heck, yes, it was. Listen, I'm an extrovert, but I still have limits too, y'all. <laughs> right? But I am so thankful that I did that because it was wicked uncomfortable. And do you know what's cool about it is that God has put me in other positions like that now that I'm way less uncomfortable with it. Yeah. Right? Like we get the opportunity to step out and that first time feels like we're walking off a cliff. And the next time it's like, well, this is just a small hill. And then the third time we're like, no, it's literally just a step down. And then what? Fourth, fifth, sixth time, is it just flat ground? I don't know. But I want, 
I want to see God's church moving healthy, being healthy. And, and I, I got to say this again. I'm not here to say like, oh man, you guys should serve in the church. But the reality is I'm going to say it over and over again. We have a safety here that we don't have out in the world. I could have walked up to that guy and said, hey, you want to go get some food? And he might have stabbed me. I, honestly, I, I, I run much less risk of being stabbed here in the church. <laughs> You run much less risk of being stabbed here in the church, right? So, man, get uncomfortable here in the church and serve. Do something that's out of your comfort zone. Man, if you're a super introvert, I would encourage you, do the one thing you never would, greet. If you're that terrified that you can't do that, go back and do AV. You get to sit there, and if somebody talks to you, you'd be like, I'm busy! <laughs> right? Right? You guys, there are ways to serve. And again, I'm not here tooting a horn and saying, serve at Great Bay. I'm saying, do that so that you're more comfortable and that God is, you're hearing the voice of the Lord more clearly when you step out into the world where the work is actually happening. And that you're saying, yes, let's do this. God, I need you because this is wicked uncomfortable. And he'll show up, I promise you. And don't ever think it's in the flesh. The flesh will never tell you, hey, go do something you absolutely don't want to do. That's literally the Holy Spirit. When people say like, how do you know it's the Holy Spirit? Usually it's when I'm like, <laughs> that's when I know, okay, that's God. I'm going to do it, right? Is when I'm the most like, <laughs> when I felt called to ministry, I was like, no, God. Like I, I don't just swallow my foot. I eat clear up to the knee. <laughs> And anyone that knows me at all knows that's true. And sometimes you're like, you probably eat clear up to the thigh, right? Like I've definitely done that. My wife's like, please stop, stop, right? Because I just keep going, you guys. But the reality is, is that it's in these moments, it's in our weakness that God is made strong, that God shows himself strong. He's not made strong. He shows himself. He shows his strength in your weakness, you guys. Why are we? Why are we in America so afraid of looking foolish? And I got to call us out here in New England, man. New Englanders, you guys, you think you're so cool. You're not. You're human like the rest of us. We're all human, man. Be human. Mess up. Fall flat on your face. Be embarrassed. Because at the end of it all, you get to fall flat in front of Jesus and be like, oh, man, that didn't go like I thought it would, God. I'm sorry. And you just keep walking. And in those moments, even when you think, ah, maybe I'm failing, God shows himself strong. And then you're like, wow, we didn't fail at all. God did an amazing work through my weakness. I got five minutes, man. One more story. Everybody know Greg Laurie? Have you guys ever heard of Greg Laurie? Great evangelist, Calvary Chapel pastor. He, I read a book and he talked about the very first time he went out on the beach. He had just got saved. He had this book that told him how to get saved right? And he went out onto the beach in California and he walked up to this, per, this lady because he was like, she was kind of pretty. And so he's like, oh, yeah, I'll minister to a lady. I like that. You know, he's young. He's young. And so he gets out there and this lady's like sunbathing and he's, he's like, can I tell you about Jesus? And she was like, sure, just don't, don't put a shadow on me, you know? Don't, don't block my son. And so he was there and he literally was like, she said yes. So he was like, and so he just sat down and he started reading this book to her. It was like a 30-page book. And so he just read the book to her. And at the end, he's like, so do you want to know Jesus? And she's like, yeah, I do. And then he's like, oh. <laughs> And so he was like, okay, pray with me. 
And so she prayed with him. And then he was like, hey, come to my church. It's great. It's a, you know, Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. It's here. It's whatever. And so, and the lady showed up. And he was like, it was the most awkward, ridiculous, should never have worked scheme in the whole world. And God used it. Can we be not afraid of falling? Can we not be afraid of doing something that sounds dumb or looks dumb? It's okay, you guys. Get over yourselves. I need to get over me. And God does that for me all the time by getting up here. (laughs) You guys, one final thing. If you've been coming to this church this whole time and you still are not a believer, if that's still you, I, I just need to, I need to ask you guys and I, I, I really feel like it's important. You're a goat. I don't want to see you be a goat. And so if you're watching online, if you listen to this later, like, man, God literally has made a way for all of us to come to him and he did it through his son by, by killing him, sending him to his death so that he could do what no one else could ever do, resurrect and come back to life all on his own. And that it's only through that defeating of death and hell that we can ever come to, come to God. And so if that's for you, if, that's, if you're here today, I need to ask you a question. Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus? Because he cannot be a good man. He is a good man, but he can't just be a good man. He can't just be somebody that threw out some good prophecy. He's not Nostradamus. And by the way, his prophecies are right on. And he fulfilled tons of prophecy just in his life. So he's either a liar. Is that what you think he is? Because at the end of the day, if you die today, and you go, and you stand before him, you guys, you're going to have to own what you actually thought of him. Church, that might be a little bit for us too, because I believe he's the all-powerful Lord of my life, which means he's the boss. And so if you think he's a liar, at least own that, that you think that. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I have way more, honestly, human respect for a person that's an atheist that really owns the fact that he's like, I believe there is no God whatsoever than I do for a wishy-washy Christian that says, I think I believe in Jesus, but I'm not going to live like it because, you know, I don't know. No. Be a person of your word. Own what you think. And so if you think he's a liar, well, I want to tell you he's not. But that's between you and the Lord. You got to figure that out. Do you think he's a lunatic? What are you here for if you do? I, I mean, I'm glad you're here. Is he the Lord and King? Those are your three choices. He can't be anything but those. And the truth is, you guys, and I need to, everyone to hear this here, choosing not to choose today is a choice. Choosing not to choose is still a choice. It matters. And it doesn't matter because me, Pastor Jeremy's up here telling you it does. It matters because Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that I am Lord and you are saved. There's something about this decision that you need to make that is important. So I'm not up here giving you some legalistic thing. I'm telling you what the word says. 
and you've got to deal with it. And so if that's you today, would you make a choice, man? Don't wait any longer. We're going to have people up here later to pray as we sing the last song to pray with. If that's you, I just want to encourage you, come up and get prayer. If you're like, hey, man, that's uncomfortable to me, can I just encourage you then, man, grab the person next to you, grab the person you came with, grab one of your relatives, grab somebody that you know knows Jesus and say to them, I want to know Jesus. How do we do this? And church, we need to be ready in season and out of season. So if someone comes to you with that, don't be freaked out. Pray with them. Bring them into the kingdom. It's the most amazing gift we ever get to give. Amen? Let's pray. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Great Bay Calvary Church in Dover, New Hampshire. We're so glad you found us. If you want to learn more about our services or need prayer for something going on in your life, come connect with us at greatbaycalvary.com.